welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. Well, good morning to you. We are officially at the end of the holiday season. Did you make it through? Well, somebody said barely, and that's probably true. I think some of us probably made it through okay. We did. Uh, we got to enjoy some time with all of our kids, which was nice. We didn't get to have them all at the same time, but we, we got to do the rotation deal. And, and, and again, that was nice. But I know that for some of you, that wasn't necessarily the case, because the reality is some of you are alienated from your kids, or you're alienated from your parents, or you're alienated from somebody in your family, and every time that we go through the holiday period, it's not anything except a, a reminder of, of the hurt that's in that relationship. Uh, estrangement is a, is a funny thing. Um, it's funny in this sense, we're still related to one another, we're still family, we still share blood, we may even still share the same last name. It's just that the persons that we are estranged from, they no longer live as though those connections exist. In other words, they treat us just like they would treat anybody else that, that they might meet on the street. We've just become one more person in the world to them, and maybe not even that. So, so we don't live like we're family anymore. For whatever reason, we've just decided to, to kind of go our own ways and do our own things. And the funny thing about it is, when you become estranged from someone, you may not ever be able to look back. Sometimes you can, but many times you can't look back and point to any single thing or any single argument or explosion or event that caused you to be estranged. Instead, it's, it's more like an accumulation of things. There were a whole lot of little arguments or disagreements uh, along the way, and it became easier at some point because of the tension that was always in the air when you were together. Because of that tension, it became easier at some point just to do life without them rather than to do life with them. Sometimes estrangement happens from something as simple as our values changing or one of our loved ones values changing and whenever we get together we don't understand them and they don't understand us and we begin talking about someone and they take the opposing view and and little squabbles happen and there begins to be a tension in the air and it just becomes easier not to be around them and I suspect that some of you are living exactly what I'm talking about. And the reason I want to talk about it this morning is because a, a similar state of affairs can actually happen between God and His people. And it has happened between God and His people many times over the course of history. As a matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, and we're going to look at Malachi for, oh, I don't know, two or three, maybe four weeks. Uh, in the book of Malachi, the people had slowly become uncomfortable with God. And God had become uncomfortable with them. And I think the people that Malachi was writing to, even though you might ask them, is everything okay between them and God? And they would say, yeah, everything's okay between us and God. The truth of the matter is they were kind of miffed at him. Uh, God had not lived up to their expectations. And as a result, their worship had kind of become half-hearted. 
I'm not saying that they had broken that relationship altogether, but it just, it just wasn't what it used to be. And, and it got to the place where they were disappointed in God, and God was disappointed in them, and, and a, a gap had opened between them and the Lord. And, and they were functionally estranged from God, even though they were still going through all of the motions. Have you experienced that in a family relationship? Where you're going through all the motions. And maybe you do get together on the holidays. But it's just kind of a big act. There's just no connection point anymore. A lot of times estrangement happens that way. Well, the book of Malachi is all about a people who have become estranged from God. And a God who has become estranged from them. And, and in the book of Malachi, they're kind of having it out with one another. It's an, it's an argument, really. It's an argument between the people and their God. And so, we're going to spend a few Sundays looking at it. Because I think there are parallels between what the people in Malachi's day were going through. And what some of us are going through today. Now... When we talk of estrangements, many times for us to understand why people are estranged, we have to go back and dig up some stuff. And the truth of the matter is, that's what a, count, a lot of counselors do. Counselors many times are, are helping people to go back and dig stuff up and figure out where things went wrong in their relationships, where, where things got broken down. And whenever you look at the history of Israel, it's pretty easy to identify some of those places where things broke down. And, and I don't want to bog us down in history as hard as that's going to be for me not to do this morning. I'm hoping not to do that. But I do want to remind you just of some, some key historical things that took place between God and His people. First of all, there's this whole matter of the exodus. We all remember the story. If you've been here any length of time at all, you've heard it many times. It is one of the pivotal moments in all of the Bible when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And they began to cry out to God. And they said, God, deliver us because we're, we're just undergoing great, great difficulties here in, in this slavery. And the Bible says that God heard them and He sent a deliverer named Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, so he said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, well, who is God that I should let his people go? I'm not going to do it. And God began to send plague after plague until Pharaoh had finally had enough of it. And he, and he pushed them out of the country, literally said, just get out of here. And before they got out of town, good, he changed his mind, right? Pharaoh did. And, and he begins to pursue the Israelites. And as the Israelites approach the edge of the Red Sea, God divides the waters, the Israelites go through on dry ground, and then the water comes back up over Pharaoh and his armies as he pursues the Israelites out of Egypt. It's a pivotal moment in the Bible. And not too long after that event, God begins to speak to his people. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain and he would hear from God and he would come back down and share what God had to say with the people. And, and one of the things that God said is that, listen, I've loved you and I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want to make a covenant with you, but here's the deal. If I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, there are certain expectations that I have of you and there are certain promises in turn that I'm going to make to you. Now, if you will live for me, 
and you'll do the things that I ask you to do, I'm going to bless you more than any people on the face of the earth has ever been blessed. But if you don't, and if you disobey me, and even worse, if whenever I take you to the promised land, you begin to do the things that the people in that land are doing today, you can rest assured that the land will vomit you out just as it's about to vomit them out. And I'm going to call down all kinds of curses on you. And all of the blessings that you might have received are going to disappear. And indeed, things are going to get very ugly for you. And just to give you a, a flavor for what this was like, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 63. I could easily have gone to Leviticus chapter 18. I just didn't want to this morning. We may save that. We may keep our powder dry on that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, though, verse 63, gives you a flavor for, for, for what God said to them. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 63. And this is the end of the dialogue, and I would encourage you, if you want to read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it'll be worth your nickel. It's all of the blessings that God was going to lay on His people if they obeyed, and all of the curses if they, if they didn't obey. And down towards the end, verse 63, it says, Just as the Lord has found great pleasure in causing you to prosper and multiply... The Lord will find pleasure in destroying you. In other words, if you obey, you're going to prosper and multiply. But if, if you don't, then the Lord's going to find pleasure in destroying you. The second part of that says, you will be torn from the land you're about to enter and occupy. For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you will worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. Gods made of wood and stone. And there among those nations... You will find no place to peace or place to rest. And the Lord will cause your heart to tremble and your eyesight to fail and your soul to despair. And your life will constantly hang in the balance. And you will live night and day in fear, unsure if you will survive. In the morning you will say, if only it were night. And in the evening you will say, if only it were morning. For you will be terrified by all the awful horrors that you see around you. Then the Lord will send you back to Egypt in ships to a destination I promised you would never see again. And there you will offer to sell yourselves to your enemies as slaves, but no one will buy you. Now those are pretty severe words. But the people said, Lord, we do want to enter this covenant. We do want you to be our God. We do want to be your people. We will obey the words that you have put forward to us. But of course, they didn't keep the covenant. And they turned away from the things that God commanded them to do when they entered into the promised land. And as a result, God did exactly what He promised them He would do. And that is, He tore them out of their land. Many of them were carried away to Babylon. The ones who weren't carried away from Babylon, many of them fled to Egypt in ships, just as he writes about here. That took place in Jeremiah's time. And, and it was among the worst experiences that, that you can possibly imagine. I, I don't think as Americans we can even begin to grasp the depth of not only losing our freedom, not only losing our sovereignty, 
but literally losing this piece of ground that we call home and being ripped out of it and sent someplace else to live for the rest of our lives. That, that is a very hard thing to comprehend. And to get a flavor for how it hit their hearts, I want you to look at Psalm chapter one, uh, Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Psalm 137, this is kind of the, expresses the hearts of the Israelites after they were torn out of the promised land and, and sent into captivity, into Babylon and into Egypt. Psalm 137. It's really one of the saddest psalms in all of the scripture. It says, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps hanging among the branches of the poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Now, guys, that's some strong language. But that's how they felt in their heart because everything that they held dear had been ripped away from them and they were completely broken in the land of Babylon. And as you can imagine, they began to cry out to God for, for deliverance again, just as they had when they were living in the land of Egypt. And, of course, God had a plan in all of this. And after they had been in Babylon for a period of time, God does in fact bring them home again. And, and we don't have time to look at all of it, but if you, if you want to read about it for yourself, the events are found in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and basically God caused a, a, another land to, or another army to overtake Babylon. And those leaders looked favorably on the Israelites. God gave them the desire to look favorably on the Israelites, and they began to allow the, the Jews to return home. And uh, you can just imagine what that was like whenever they were allowed to return home. They were allowed to rebuild the temple. They were allowed to rebuild their homes. They were allowed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And um, it was hard. But I, but I think in the beginning, even though it was hard, they really had a heart to carry out the work. And, and in the back of their mind, though, they carried this thought. They said, this is the time when things between us and God is really going to be set right. And, and we're going to be given the freedom to serve God in the way that we should have. And we're going to take that up. We're going to do it right. And, and God is going to bless us. With all of the things that the prophets have spoken about up to now. Now let me give you a sense of what they're expecting. I want you to look at the book of Zechariah chapter 8. Now Zechariah, you, to, to get to the Zechariah, you, probably the easiest way is to go to Matthew and then just work your way back just a little bit. He's one of the minor prophets right in front of the book of, of uh, 
of uh, Matthew and Malachi, actually. I want us to look at Zechariah chapter 8. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to pick around in it just a little bit. Now, while the Israelites were in Babylon, there were prophets speaking throughout that time. And the prophets, of course, rebuked them for the things that they had done, but they also promised Israel that it would be restored in a way that they could not imagine. And Zechariah was one of those prophets that prophesied in that period of time. And beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Then another message came to me from the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion, or Jerusalem, is passionate and strong, and I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I, notice this, I, the Lord, will live in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me, said the Lord of heaven's armies? Now I want you to skip down to about verse 20. What's this going to be like when he restores his people to the promised land again? It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. And the people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies and to ask for his blessings. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God was with you. What does this imply? Well, well to them, what it implied was that they, when God took them back home, when He let them go back to the promised land, that, that uh, they were going to become the center of the universe, really for lack of a better term, the center of the world. Their city was going to be the greatest city. They were going to be the greatest people. People from all over the world were going to come and they were going to worship at the temple. They were going to pay homage to God who lived in His temple. And and the people, the Jews, were going to be so sought after that ten people would run after one and grab his sleeve and say, Man, let let us be with you because we've heard God is with you. But whenever they got back home, it wasn't quite that way. Whenever they got back home and they began to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city, they still found out that they had a lot of the same difficulties that they had before. As a matter of fact, they had some of the same difficulties and heartaches they had in Babylon. Not all of them by any means, but some of them. Life was still hard. It was still challenging. They still had political opponents. There were still enemies. There were still wars. And the people were disappointed after a time. They, 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 it, it's just that the expectations that they had from God hadn't quite worked out in the way that they had planned. 
And I'm sure that on some level they continued to pray, they continued to hope, they continued to believe, man, God, someday God's going to set all this right because He's promised it in His Word. And by the way, I do believe He will set it all right, but I think maybe they misinterpreted the, the, the timing of it and, and how things were going to unfold. But they prayed and they thought about it and, and, and they hoped for it. But nothing too much changed. Life continued to be hard. Jerusalem continued to have enemies. They continued to be a small people, not a great people. A small, disrespected group of people. Basically, over time, their attitude became in their hearts. I don't think they would have said this out loud, but I think this is what happened in their hearts. What happened in their hearts, they begin to say, you know what, if God's not going to do too much for us, we're not going to do too much for Him either. Kind of like the Russians back in the Cold War days, living under communism. And I don't know how many of you guys remember those days or how the people lived. It was kind of a grinding poverty over in the Soviet Union. And people had to go do jobs that they hated and they received very little for doing those jobs. There was little compensation. And so there began to be a saying in the old Soviet Union. And the saying was this, if they pretend to pay me, I'll pretend to work. Okay? In other words, we, we'll go through this deal. We'll, we'll put on the show. And they, they, they tell us we got to go to work every day, so we'll go to work every day. But we're not going to work very hard. We're going to be pretty half-hearted about it. Because we're not happy with this state of affairs. And, and that's kind of where Israel was. Yeah, we, we'll go ahead and worship the Lord. But we're not going to worship Him from, from our hearts. Because we are, we are disappointed in Him. And as they begin to kind of give God just half-hearted faith. And half-hearted devotion. God became frustrated with them too. And so what happened is they kind of got in this, in this negative feedback loop that they weren't even aware of. They would do things that let God down, and in turn, God would be disappointed with them and withhold some of His blessings. And in turn, they would say, well, God doesn't love us, and they would, they would do even more things that displeased God. And, and slowly but surely, the distance was coming between them and God. They were beginning to be alienated and estranged and they didn't even know it. And the question that I want us to entertain this morning is this. Is it possible for something like that to happen to us in our relationship with God? Is it possible for something like that to happen in our relationship with God as individuals? Is it possible for something like that to happen in our relationship with God as a nation? And I've got to tell you something. I believe that it absolutely is. I want you to consider the story of a person named Joe. It has nothing to do with any of you guys named Joe. So if you're named Joe this morning, this is... Uh, this is nothing towards you, but I, I, I'm going to read this story, I think. I may choose to do it differently next service, but I didn't feel like I could do it justice. So I just want to read this. Here's a person who becomes estranged from God. And I want you to catch how it happens. It said, the first 19 years of Joe's life were the epitome of dysfunction. Then he was saved. All right? That's the story of a lot of people. Here, here's a guy that's living a screwed up life and, and, and at 19 years of age he gets saved. It was a fantastic turnaround. 
He joined a local church and was growing by leaps and bounds as the Lord impassioned him with the excellent gospel adventure. And the church readily embraced him. And Joe loved God genuinely. He was experiencing things that were new and wonderful and radically different than his former manner of life. It was an exciting time. He was saved. And he loved the Lord. And the Lord loved him. And it was, it was a good time. Joe also had a wife and children. And after things had become a bit tight, they decided that his wife, Jenny, would take a job to help supplement their income. She found a job at a local tax firm. It was perfect. Almost. Joe and Jenny were struggling in their marriage. But they figured they were no different from anyone else. And they chose not to share their marriage problems with the church. Besides, they loved God and God loved them. And that seemed to be enough. Hope you're not there. After nine months... Jenny began an affair with one of the tax guys, as Joe would call him, at the office. They started sleeping together, and within two years, Joe and Jenny were divorced. Interestingly, Jenny was awarded the children, while Joe's life went into the toilet. He came in for counseling. We met over a period of a few weeks, during which time Joe eventually blurted out what he had only dared to think before. I am mad at God. Okay. Joe got saved. He enjoyed it. Life was great. He had a marriage. He had kids. Everything looked good. But then all of a sudden, his wife has an affair, and his life goes in the toilet, and he loses his kids, and, and he looks around, and he discovers that he's mad at God. The counselor is writing this. He said, after listening to Joe for a while, I began sketching out his life, hoping that he could visually see what the Lord was up to and how he needed to rethink what was happening to him. Joe needed to come to terms with some things about God. His fundamental theology was that because he trusted Christ for salvation, that God would take care of him. Okay? Joe, when he got saved, he, he got saved with this very distinct idea. God's going to take care of me. I've given myself to God. God's going to take care of me. And he had a very clear mental picture of what this was going to look like. While it is ultimately correct that God would take care of Joe, Joe and God had two different opinions on what taking care of him meant. Joe knew terrible things happened to people, including Christians, but he never connected this truth to his own life. Though he expected disappointments, he never thought they would be on the level that they were in his life. And the reason Joe blurted out his anger towards God was that he was frustrated at how an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God was not giving him the life he had hoped for. If God knows all things, omniscient, can do all things, omnipotent, and is everywhere all the time, omnipresent, why can't he give me the life I want? That's what Joe wanted to know. If God knows all things and can do all things, why didn't he protect me from this hell I'm living in? Why didn't he keep these horrible things from happening to me? Up until this time, Joe was only, only angry at Jenny and the tax guy and the judge who granted their divorce. He never dared to think that a sovereign God would not stop what was happening to him. And so, Joe, because of his disappointment in God, began to separate himself from the things of God slowly at first, then more quickly in, in, in the latter days, and there became an estrangement between them. And I have an idea 
that during this process when Joe was kind of pulling away from God, slowly, slowly, I mean, I, I suspect it happened he would skip church a few times and, and then it, it began to pass that he didn't pick up his Bible every day and, and then after a while he just didn't even want to pray or think about God anymore. But if you'd have talked to Joe during this process and, and said, Joe, how are things with you and God? What would he have said? Oh, they're fine. It's kind of like when you talk to your wives, guys. You know, maybe she's been sulking around for two or three weeks and you, and you can't figure out what's going on. And so you say to her, honey, is everything okay? And she says, they're fine. No, they're not fine. They're not fine at all. Something's happened. Something has happened that is causing her to cool towards you. And as she cools towards you, you're cooling towards her. And that's how estrangement begins. Now, you're still husband and wife. You're still married. You still go through all of the, all of the motions and, and activities of a married couple, but, but there is an emptiness that's there, you see. And that can happen in our relationship with God. We can go through all of the motions. We can say all of the right things. We can pretend everything is okay. But if our hearts are unhappy and dissatisfied about the lot in life that God has given us, it is only a matter of time before that infects us. And it begins to affect our attitude, and our attitude begins to affect our actions. And as our attitude and actions become wrong towards God, it, 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 uh, let's just say it how it is. It, it angers God with us frustrates God with us and there just begins to 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 be this separation that takes place in our life and for all intents and purposes we become estranged from God that is exactly what was happening to the people in Malachi's we're going to see over the over the next few weeks and, and God is going to deal with them about all of this but before he does, there is one very important thing that he wants to do before he starts this conversation. And that is he, he wants to make sure that they know that he loves them. So let's go ahead, having said that. All of that was introduction. <laughs> let's go to the book of Malachi. It's right in front of Matthew. Malachi chapter 1. This is the beginning of their discussion. We're only going to look at just a minute bit of it this morning, and I'm not even sure I should have done that. May have should have just done the introduction. Malachi chapter 1, beginning verse 1. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you. I have always loved you. But you retort, really, how have you loved us? Can you hear the dissatisfaction in that? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. 
And Esau's descendants in Edom may say, We have been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's armies replies, They may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. And when you see the destruction for yourselves, you will say, Truly, the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's border. I don't know if this makes a lot of sense to us or not, this passage right here. I mean, the first part of it does. It's like when we sit down as a parent to have a very difficult talk with one of our children. I've had these talks, have you? And, and you know that it's going to be so serious that when you first sit down with your child before you even go to the bad spots, right? What are you going to do? You're going to make sure that you tell them on the front end, I love you. I'm sure, very positive, especially with my daughter, but with my sons as well, but, but especially with my daughter, that any time that we sat down together, and I sat down and I said, Sarah, I love you, and you'll always be the apple of my eye. She knew there was a great big gigantic butt that was going to be coming, right? And that this was not going to go well. She knew that what was following was going to be important. And that's what's going on here. God's setting the tone. I have always loved you. But, but here's what's confusing is the way he expressed his love. How, how can you know that I've loved you? Well, because I love Jacob and I hated Esau. I chose your ancestor, Jacob, and I rejected Esau and his descendants. In fact, the Lord said, you can look at their land. Edom butted right up against the land of Israel on the south side. I actually looked at satellite photos of it. It, is, uh, it makes Phoenix look like the Garden of Eden. Uh, it is desolate, desolate, desolate land. And the Lord said, I, I have loved you, the descendants of Jacob, but I have hated, really, is what the Bible says. This is not... Good language in the NLT, the, the word that's actually used is hated. I, I've loved you and I've hated, I've hated Esau. I've chosen you. I've rejected Esau. That, that doesn't set right with us today because we are so much about equality and, and everybody being on, on a level field. And it doesn't seem right to us that anyone should be chosen over another even though it happens all the time. NFL draft happens once a year, right? And in the NFL draft, there's almost always one, maybe two players at the outside that everybody just knows that they know is going to be the number one player taken. And so maybe here's this guy, Joe Pro. Joe Pro, he's won all of the big trophies. He's gotten all of the headlines. He's the, he's the big man on campus. He knows he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. But he doesn't know that Dallas has got the first pick, and they always screw it up. <laughs> oh, no. Just had to get that in. But whoever has the first pick doesn't pick him. They pick someone else. Is that fair? Is that fair that they didn't pick him? Sure it's fair. They're under no obligation to pick him. 
They can choose anyone they want. They, they have no obligation to choose any individual player, you see. They, they, they've got the right to extend their invitation to whomever they choose. Well, it's kind of that way with God, only more so. God is under no obligation to choose anyone. Ever. He's under no obligation to, to love you, to choose you, to love me, to choose me. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only thing that is sure is that we as sinful people are deserving of God's wrath. But sometimes, instead of getting God's wrath for reasons that the Scripture doesn't fully tell us, I think there may be reasons for it, I don't want to go there this morning. But sometimes for reasons that we don't fully understand, God looks down on someone and He reaches down and He touches them and He chooses them and He said, you will be mine. Why did He choose Israel? God Himself said it wasn't because you were the greatest, most abundant super people on the face of the earth. He, he said, no, that's not why. I just, I just loved you. I just chose you. Why, whenever you go to the, uh, this is not my sermon, by the way. But why, when we go to the animal shelter to get us a, a puppy or a, or a dog, and there's maybe 50 or 75 of them in the kennels, why do we zone in on this one and choose him over all the others? Is that fair? I don't know if it's fair or not. It's just we, we love one. There's one just. We just wanted it. And so God from time to time just reaches down and he touches somebody. And if he's ever reached down and touched you, you know what that's like. It's like one of the most special and significant and humbling events that can happen to a human being. Casting Crowns has a song that, that kind of, I think, speaks to this. It says, Who am I the Lord, that the Lord of all of the earth would care to know my name? Who would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the brighting morning star would choose to light the way for every wandering heart? That expresses the wonder of anyone that God has touched and chosen. Sometimes God just loves us. God loved Israel. He chose Israel. He saved Israel out of Egypt. He did punish Israel for a season, but He also restored them. God was not through with them. There were still promises left. There were still blessings to be given. Maybe they didn't receive all that they thought that they should receive as quickly as they thought they should receive it. Maybe life wasn't as good as they envisioned that it should be or could be or ought to be. And maybe that's the way it is with you and I too. Maybe we're a little bit disappointed in how God has, has carried us through life. But it doesn't negate the fact He has loved us. That He has chosen us. That He has touched us. And the problem that can come into our life and can cause us to be estranged from God is when we begin to doubt that truth. When life hands us lemons instead of lemonade 
and we are frustrated and upset and angry at other people and we are frustrated and angry and upset at God for allowing those things to come into our life at the moment that we begin to doubt God's goodness, God's love and the fact that God has chosen us we are on our way to putting that distance between us and God because we will begin to hold the things of God more loosely And as we turn loose of the things of God, it will grieve His heart. And and He will begin to withhold some of the blessings that He has for us. Listen to me, guys. If you are a Christian, God has chosen you. And if you you will look around for even 15 seconds, you're going to know it is true what I'm about to say to you. And that is simply this. God treats you differently than He does others. That's what He was pointing out in Malachi. Malachi. He said to the people of Israel, just look at how I'm treating Edom and look at how I'm treating you. I do love you. I do. But if we ever allow ourselves to doubt that, we will never lay hold of all of the plans and the promises that he has for us. That is going to be the message of Malachi over these few weeks. We will look at how the people have responded to God in ways that grieved his heart. We will look at the words that he had for them. And it will be my prayer that those words will touch our hearts and maybe draw us back into our relationship with God if we have allowed that distance to enter in. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord God, I cannot even begin to speak enough about your faithfulness about the love that you have for us, your people, about how good you have been to our nation, about how good you have been to us as individuals. And even though you have been so good, there are still times, Lord, when when life is hard and it's difficult and it's bitter and we find doubts arising and we, we just allow distance to come between you and us. I pray, Father God, that you would forgive us of that. I pray over the next few weeks, Father God, that your spirit will be here and it will be here in power as it has been this morning. And Father God, you will enable us to see the things that have perhaps come into our life that are displeasing to you, that have put distance between us and yourself, that you will bring us to a season of repentance and lead us to re-embrace, Father God, the truth that you have loved us. Lord, we thank you for being with us this morning. I pray, Father God, that you will be with us in the second service as well. I pray that you will be with us as we go to our homes. And Lord, we lift all this to you this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.